every world became a garden, but for every garden there was a shepherd, and for all the shepherds, a greater purpose. Open this world to the winding path, light the way where I wish to roam, across the seas of infinity for this weary traveler far from home. This is The Lost Tribe. Welcome back to The Lost Tribe, Sins of the Father. As always, I am the author and your humble reader, Peter Ivy. This week, we will be reading from chapters 25 and 26. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow and subscribe to help me keep bringing the story to you. Thank you very much for listening, and let's begin. Chapter 25 Henry was the first. Apostos opened his hand in front of Henry's chest and slowly pulled it away. Henry gasped as thin tendrils of darkness slipped out from somewhere inside him and moved along Apostos' arm. He extended his other arm towards me and the darkness moved into me, the tendrils slipping like serpents. The sensation was awful, the pain stifling as I absorbed Henry's darkness. Something was there inside of it. It was named Darius, the thing that had been Henry before and it fed upon his pain. I saw Henry when he was in his teens, and his first lover. Where was the pain in this? Then the memory changed. A smile upon her face, a knife in her hand. If you will not honor our family with children, then you will not sully us with your dalliances. The knife dove down to below what I could see, and I felt white-hot pain in my groin as she cut him. My God, I felt sick. How could a parent do that? How? I swallowed the pain and stayed on my feet. I looked up at Henry. He held up his hand for me not to speak. That's not for public consumption, Mick. It's old news anyway. I nodded at him. Apostos turned to Takum and worked the same trick on him. This time, however, the darkness was like lightning and leapt across Apostos in an arc to bury itself in my chest. Its name was Hespius, and it fed on Takum's pain. A crippled boy, big for his age, was limping along in a dirt-poor village, using a piece of driftwood as a crutch. His leg was stunted. Seven boys his age came out of an alleyway and began to chase behind him, kicking at his good foot or his crutch, trying to knock him down. He wouldn't fight, but kept on moving as best he could. They pushed him down to the dirt and spit in his hair, jeering at him and kicking at him as he struggled, never saying a word himself. One began punching at his face, his knees on Takum's chest. Takum swung his crutch and swatted the boy on top of him in the head. The boy fell from him, the others scattering as Takum fought back. The tables turned, and Takum was on top of the boy. He brought the crutch down again and again and again on the boy's head. There was a crunching sound, and a pool of blood spread from underneath his head. Takum screamed, and his eyes filled with tears. My heart ached with the guilt and pain that surged through him as he dropped the crutch and crawled away to weep. He killed the boy. What could I say? There was no right to it, no punishment worse than his broken heart. Ah, keep going, Apostos. Let's get this over with. Apostos nodded and turned to Otomo. It was called Adrius, and it was with Otomo all the time. It stood by him, on the shore of a tranquil sea at night, the waves gently lapping at his sandaled feet. A trickle of red crept into the water from behind him, and another, and another. 
The smell of smoke was in his hair. The debris behind him began with several men and women, each slaughtered and left in an undignified pose of agony. Then came the wreckage, the broken furniture and accessories of a cultured people, all rendered into rubbish. Then the houses where flames roared into the sky, as silence ruled over all. Dead eyes stared into fires, eyes that resembled the tomos in the merest detail. The wolves were gone. The strangers disappeared back to where they came. He raised his sword and positioned it over his stomach. A hand, smooth and out of place, not covered in soot or blood, stayed his sword as he moved it to end his life. A man, blonde haired and wearing strange clothes, whispered in his ear, Not yet. How could he stand to be near them? Was an oath to me enough to hold him back from taking their heads? I had no idea how he held back from killing the kingdom, but I respected Otomo more now. I guess you saved the best for last, Casey said, holding out her hand to Apostos. Casey's pain reached towards me, a black mass of thorn-covered vines that wrapped around my arm and sunk into my flesh. The thing was called Belarus. Casey's pain given name and form. It screamed in my mind as I consumed it. The scene was familiar as she had described it. Her father, dead at her feet. His murderers hung by their legs from a tree burst from the earth beneath the dusty tavern. Casey picked up her father's guns. Her eyes were different than I'd seen them before. Calm. Her irises were mere pinpricks. She reloaded the guns and went outside. This was different than what she said. A dozen men and women stood in the street, gawking at her as she came out of the tavern. There was a feeling to the air, heavy. Casey moved towards them, and I recognized the feeling for what it was. Doom. Casey blew the head off the first man and shot a woman in the back as she ran. Casey's expression didn't change. She shot them all, every single one in quick succession, merciless. But the children she told to stay still, or she'd kill them too. She finished with the adults and stood breathing hard in front of the children, who whimpered and cried, their little faces looking at her in shock. She was not much older than some of them. Her words came out in a voice I'd never heard, even in the midst of battle. Go now. Tell all of them what I've done here. Tell them all that if they get in my way, I'll leave their bodies in the dust. She raised one of her pistols in the air and fired it. The children scattered. There was a groan behind her. The first woman she shot in the back wasn't dead. Casey walked up to her and shot her through the back of the head. I didn't realize I was on my knees until I opened my eyes to see the others standing over me, their eyes alight with concern. There was a terrible taste in my mouth. My body tingled with energy. I got to my feet and drew my sword. The others moved back. I gripped it as tight as I could. There was something moving inside me now. Something terrible. <sighs> it's too much. Murder, pain, and darkness. Shut up. Blood in the dust, cold eyes in the night. Shut up, Lycotus. I remember why I fell. I gripped my sword of her tighter with both hands. Manon gave me just a taste of what humans are right at the core, so beautiful in their anger, so unrelenting in their wrath. You drown in blood all the time. Mick, you need to go, Apostle shouted. My head cleared for a moment. Cracks were forming all through the palace, and shards of marble crumbled to the floor. There was a trembling in everything. Julia, Nicholas, Jack, and Felkir were gone. Sibelius and Pendulus tended to father as he slumped on the throne. The energy was dark now, barely flickering. Apostle shook my shoulder. I will take care of things here, Mick. Go stop Manal. He walked up the stairs to join his fellow shepherds. A fine plume of dust swirled and drifted in the air above them, 
I turned to my friends. Their pain was my own now. Their secrets. Prepare yourselves, I told them. I opened a portal to pretty. People were running in the streets, and I smelled smoke. We stepped through. Meanwhile in heaven, Apostles reached the throne and stood over Father. He smiled at his brothers, Pendulus and Sibelius, and leaned over to embrace his father. He whispered in his ear, I remember everything. Chapter 26 The streets of Pretty were swarming with villagers, fishermen, and militiamen. People were calling out an alarm, and a familiar bell rang in the square. It was usually only reserved for alluring the population to shipwrecks or storms. On the horizon, dark clouds crept towards the village. Women grabbed their children by the arm and ran into houses. The militia were helping people get into shelter. Where were my family? Uh, Mick, we need some weapons. These people have no idea what's coming. Right. I replied. I summoned up some energy, feeling the darkness swelling up inside. It wanted to be used. My own energies were fighting to do what I was asking them to, pushing back against the dark. I could feel Lyconis fighting me. A trio of sabers, a black powder pistol, a pair of heavy gauntlets. This was exhausting. <sighs> but I dropped the gear to the ground. Here. Henry picked up one of the sabers and the pistol. Takum slipped on the gauntlets. They stretched a bit over his huge hands. Potomo picked up the other saber, testing it with a couple of swings. What about me? Casey asked. I turned to look at her. How could she have lied to me about what happened? What she had done was so out of character, so vengeful, that I felt as if I didn't know her at all. She is beautiful in a way that you can never understand. You love the sound of your own voice, don't you? Ah, take my gun, I said, holding it out to her. She took the gun. I handed her the ammo. All the while, I could not beat her eyes. She grabbed my wrist. What's wrong? Besides the end of the worlds? Stop joking. I'm not, I said, removing her hand from my wrist. The universe doesn't stop and start with you and me. Okay, she said, backing up. Oh, why did I hurt her? I love her. Wrath. Vengeance. You're adorable, Nick. Uh, let's go kill this asshole. I stomped off towards the harbor. The others followed me. I heard Casey start loading the gun as she walked. Green sparks shot up from Henry as he began to alter the pistol with his power. Otomo wrapped the upper half of his overalls around his waist and walked bare-chested with the saber in his hand. Oh, shit. A young militia guard with a truncheon pointed at Otomo. It's one of the hang! He shouted. I laid him out with a short, sharp jab to the nose. He dropped to the street. Phew! I needed that. What is a hang? Otomo asked me. Several members of the militia began following us as we walked. They're enemies of Avalon, the big island that Pretty belongs to, I told him. They look a lot like you. Mickey! The sound of his voice hit me hard. I hadn't heard it in years now, not since I left. My father, dressed in his navy cap, waiters, and a black sweater, walked out from the doorway of a nearby house and took me in his arms. We thought you were dead. I gently pushed him back from me. Hello, Da. He frowned and looked me up and down. You're different now. His gaze fell on the sword. Are you some kind of wizard, son? Like in the old tales, the stories we heard. About the day you vanished? I am different, Dad. 
but that doesn't matter now. Get the rest of the family and get them behind closed doors. It's no storm that's coming across the sea. Your mother's gone, son. She left a year ago with the girls to Brighton. What? Why didn't you go? I was waiting for you. Oh my god. All this time. Uh, we don't have time for this, Mick, Henry told me. My father's eyes went wide when he saw what Henry was doing. Sparks danced across the weapon as Henry worked, tinkering with the pistol. Green energy began to glow from inside it. Are you all wizards? I sighed. Uh, find somewhere safe, Da. I'll find you later when it's all over. Okay, son. When you're ready, I'll be here. He walked away, sparing a glance over his shoulder at us. He shook his head and kept on going. Casey put her hand on my shoulder. It's okay. We've got bigger problems. I turned back to the harbor. The dark clouds were much closer now. I could hear a mad howl on the wind. The darkness stirred inside me. Once again, thank you all for listening and tuning into The Lost Tribe Sins of the Father. Join me next week when the story continues, and remember to follow this podcast and share it to keep the story going.